The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 15, reading verses 30 to 33, I invite your uh, uh, reverent attention uh, to the reading of God's word here in Romans 15. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, trailing uh, vestiges of the vestiges of the great uh, Puritan theologians uh, in 19th century uh, England was Charles Spurgeon. He's a Baptist preacher and evangelist, and on one occasion uh, he uh, came to visit uh, our own country. Uh, and an American pastor uh, asked him uh, the secret of his great influence and success, because again, uh, his uh, church meetings were filled to capacity, uh, and he had a great deal of influence. Uh, he uh, trained students to go all over the United Kingdom and uh, proclaim the truths of the scriptures. So again, he had an unprecedented uh, influence and success. And so, what's an American pastor to do? Well, uh, how come you're so successful? Spurgeon uh, pondered for a moment and said, my people pray for me. It's a great, really, uh, reminder of our text this morning. It's also a great reminder of, uh, of uh, the history of the church. I trust our church, uh, indelible uh, imprint that we can leave on our own culture and society. Another great uh, member of the Reformation, uh, John Knox, uh, Scottish evangelist and uh, theologian who studied under John Calvin. It is said of uh, Knox that one of the greatest events of Scottish history was when Knox would retire upstairs in his home to pray. Uh, and when you think of Knox, he, again, uh, had incredible success and influence. Uh, think of uh, the Presbyterian Church. Influence of Knox, confessional statements, uh, Scottish uh, common sense realism, incredible influence over the uh, early decades of American history. Saying, so, well, Phil, what is that? It's just simply that we make decisions based on faith and reason. So incredibly important. It's also so incredibly vacant in our country today. We don't think in America, we feel. We make decisions based on feelings instead of faith and reason. So 
again, there's a waning influence of men like uh, Knox and Charles Spurgeon. How do we recover it? What we pray. And here the Apostle Paul requests a prayer for his ministry and its outcome, and he closes in prayer for them in a benediction. So we're going to look at his uh, prayer. Uh, he asked the church to pray for him, verses uh, 30 to 32. Uh, he gives them uh, two motives to, to pray uh, in two great divine agents and the Son and the Spirit. It's one thing to ask people to do something. It's also just as important to tell them uh, that they have a motive, have a reason as to why they should do it. Uh, and the first is uh, our Savior, the Lord, and the second, uh, the Great Spirit, uh, chiefly the love of the Spirit. Why should you pray? The Lord and the Spirit. Uh, of course, we know the Lord is the first agent who purchased the church. We exist spiritually because of Him. We can only pray because of Him. And uh, we are taught to pray in His name because He opened the door of heaven to us. And He gives us access to Heavenly Father. Uh, I would very quickly... Uh, uh, remind you dutifully that if you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you have no access to God the Father, and the doors of heaven are closed to you, because there is no other name by which you can gain access to heaven than that of our Lord Jesus Christ. No other name whatsoever. Search all the annals of history and all of its libraries, and scuba dive to the deepest parts of the ocean. You will find only only the name of Christ gives you access to God the Father in the doors of heaven. Also, the second uh, motive to pray is the source of love in the Spirit. And the Spirit sanctifies uh, the church. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Paul appeals to the love of the Spirit. Now, because love is... Uh, always in demand and profoundly needed in ministry because dealing with people is uh, oftentimes difficult and challenging. Uh, but love is the great lubricant uh, that makes our labors uh, successful. Absent love and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Another motive, of course, is the sovereignty of God, absent which there is no confidence at all in prayer. Uh, one of my great reminders of church history and the theology of our own church is uh, even, even those who are opposed to our theology in the evangelical world repair to the great sovereignty of God. Because absent that, prayer is meaningless. Nothing will happen save uh, the God who is sovereign over every event of life. The greatness of our God. Isn't it interesting, in our own age, Paul is giving implicit reminder here that you and I should understand uh, the great triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Two motives to pray in uh, the Son and the Spirit 
And then finally we pray to God the Father. Great error has come into our church. Some of the most popular preachers of our day deny the Trinity. How sad is that? But they should study the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And they will be corrected. Uh, furthermore, this is a particular uh, uh, prayer of striving for help in the work. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul is asking for prayer. Uh, by the way, there's a great application there, is, is, uh, is or not. Uh, you and I belong to a church. Uh, we engage sometimes socially in the church, visit with people. Uh, we have great, sometimes compelling needs. We should recruit people to pray for us. If Paul could do it, perhaps the greatest theologian in the history of the church, uh, then certainly we who are lesser should recruit people to pray for us because we are profoundly needy people. Uh, the striving uh, for help uh, in prayer references a persistent and steeled focus in light of the theological conflict that always followed the Apostle Paul. And I, I would remind you, not just the Apostle Paul, theological conflict, seemingly in my own estimation, is growing more and more in our own country. Uh, as a reminder to us that we should be uh, striving in prayer for God to work. Uh, it's a compound verb that's uh, only used here. Used one time. Striving in prayer for me. Uh, the simplex verb from which the compound form uh, is, uh, is made, of course, is, is much more common. Let's look at a couple of... Uh, Instances where uh, this verb is used. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Uh, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, uh, sends you his greeting, always laboring earnest for you, earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured the will of God, striving for you in his prayers. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight. Uh, the fight is striving. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called, and you were made uh, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, both, both the uh, verbal and nominal form are used here. Fight the good fight. Striving in prayer. Uh, the imperative uh, is used in 2 Timothy 4.7. Uh, pardon me, just, just, just the verbal form. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.7, 4, Paul says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. It's very interesting that the uh, 
the, the phrase, the good fight, is first in the uh, order of the sentence, bringing great stress to it. Uh, the authors of scriptures couldn't bold something like we can uh, underline something and command our computers to make something bold, make it stand out, but they simply shift word order to, to, to bring emphasis to it. It's very interesting to, uh, from this verb, to, to strive, to fight, we have our English word to agonize. So, so this is not just prayer. It's intense prayer. It's agonizing prayer. Now, I, I suspect some of you have done that. You've ever had a sick parent or a sick child? A sick loved one? Life in the balance? Uh, maybe a child that's uh, walked away from the faith? No, you, you know what it means to agonize in prayer. And, and it is a reminder, I think, a telling reminder in our own context and for our own age that um, the secret to influence and success in the Christian faith is depending on God in prayer. Absent which, nothing will happen. Nothing meaningful anyway. One of my favorite stories in this regard is Augustine's mother, Monica. Monica used to agonize in prayer for her son because he did not know Jesus Christ. A churchman once told her the prayers of, of so many tears cannot be lost. And of course, uh, critically important to the life of the church, Augustine came to faith. He's one of the great church fathers. Uh, enhances our understanding of the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God. Think of, think of the words to Monica, the prayers of so many tears, agonizing prayer cannot be lost. Prayer, as you know, is a means of uh, grace ordained by God to advance the faith. Um, but I think it's essential to remember that sometimes it's agonizing prayer. Recognition that God, if you don't, if you don't change the heart of my son, my daughter, maybe my husband, my wife, nothing will happen. God, you must work. One of my uh, favorite uh, baseball coaches at the collegiate level was uh, at the university that I graduated from, Gary Ward. He once said that those who work the hardest are the last to surrender. Well, he said that of uh, sports. It's really true of prayer. Now, again, it's not that God takes note of, uh, you know, you, you gave to me a prayer this morning that registered uh, 35 on my Richter scale in heaven. It's not that at all, but... It's a reminder that our prayers simply have a way of deepening our radical dependence upon God to work. The necessity for Him to work and our absolute uh, dependence upon Him for success and influence.
And it, I think it applies to prayer. Uh, those who pray the hardest sometimes are the last to surrender. Uh, the content of the prayer is uh, verse 31, twofold. First, he asks for deliverance uh, from the disobedient in Junia. Two of uh, Paul's uh, great enemies were the Judaizers. Uh, their theology was uh, radically errant, Christ plus. Uh, the moment you say Christ plus, uh, the plus um, makes you a heretic. Uh, I might lessen that someone, some, somewhat because sometimes people say Christ plus out of just simply the ignorance of theology uh, become a little bit dull because I don't understand precisely, but when you start adding to the work of Christ something that you do, then you simply redefine the gospel. So we, we, we would say at Grace Bible Church, Christ plus nothing. His work alone avails. And of course, Jews would uh, follow Paul throughout his great missionary journeys and stir up strife with the civil authorities and the citizens to um, do harm. And sometimes he's turned very violent. Paul would have to flee for his life. I remind you in our own country, um, have you ever heard of such a thing as shootings in churches? Yeah, you have. almost unprecedented in American history. People would come into a church and begin to execute people. But it happened, sadly. Reminding us of our need to pray. Uh, you hear sometimes uh, people say that there should be a suspension of the First Amendment. Our Constitution. As you know from your uh, uh, civics courses in high school, there are five elements of the First Amendment. One that relates to us most profoundly is the freedom of religion. Uh, by the way, is there a footnote to that? Any exclusion clauses in the Constitution? No, there are not. We are free to gather and to worship the great God of heaven. But we should not take that for granted. You take it for granted at your peril. There are no guarantees uh, that someday civil authorities might uh, ask Grace Bible Church to shut it doors, to shut our doors, because perhaps of, of some foolishness like uh, hate speech. Uh, in other words, we have our enemies too. That's why we should pray. That's why Paul is asking the church to pray for him. Certainly, if Paul needed prayer, then we should pray for one another and for the ministry here. And take nothing for granted because we live in evil days. Profoundly evil. I think the evil that I see in my own uh, personal uh, study of uh, contemporary American history is much more pronounced than it was 50 years ago or 40 years ago. If you would have told me 50 years ago that uh, 
there'd be such things going on. No, it's never happened in America. It's happening before my own very eyes. Because we live in evil days. And it is a good reminder that if you want your influence and success to advance in the life of the church, you need to depend upon God in prayer. Reminded of the great uh, text of Scripture. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes in vain. Except we pray. Our labors oftentimes will be in vain, empty. Nothing at all will happen. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly, be glorified, just as it did also with you. Part of the content of your prayers that the word might advance, run to and fro. Enter the hearts of the people we're praying for and turn those hearts upside down that the object of our prayer might seek the Savior, for there is no salvation whatsoever absent Him. Uh, I, again, would repair to something I said earlier, encourage you to develop prayer alliances within our own church. It's incredibly important. I mean, I understand. Oh, I'm, I'm so shy and bashful about laying bare my needs for someone. And again, that takes wisdom. You know, but you develop relationships, I trust, in church. You sometimes grow a little bit closer to others and someone else, and you have a sense of confidence in them. And sometimes you are beset with poverty and you, you ask them to pray for specific needs in your life. And again, I encourage you to be wise about that. But... But again, you make alliances. Those alliances are critical. Every, every Monday morning, the Lord willing, there are five individuals that I pray for relating to the Gospel. Generally, it relates to children. Imagine that those of you that are parents. I pray for them by name. I know the struggle, the heartache. I will tell you the Lord willing, three times a month, every Saturday morning, I pray for everyone in this church by name. Notwithstanding infant children, I'm still struggling to, to learn to learn their names. I know you know them all, but I still struggle to get a list of names. But why is that? Because it's been my privilege to have a relationship with everyone in this room and to understand the great battles you're fighting. And how can those battles be won? Well, they can be won by depending upon God in prayer. Maybe you could consider doing that. Maybe just once a month. And then a couple of years, graduate to twice a month. 
Why is that? Because the adhesion and the glue that holds the church together is manifested in depending upon God. Makes us unique. Makes us unique. And so, um, those prayer alliances are critical to, uh, to deliverance. And uh, for the Christian, deliverance is always certain. It may not be uh, immediate, but it's always certain. Because God is always going to rescue His people. Always. Now, one of my favorite texts, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. You think you could make it on that prayer? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your name has been written in the eternal book of redemption before the foundation of the world. And that God has set in motion the greatest rescue operation of all time in Jesus Christ. Dispatch of the Spirit. He rescues all His known. And none are lost. So we can be confident in should be confident. Second request is that his service in delivering a financial contribution would be acceptable in the church in Jerusalem. Again, uh, many of the Jewish Christians were struggling with the very notion of a Gentile church. That's what the Apostle Paul was about. He was God's agent to uh, a Gentile church. And uh, they struggled with the notion of God saving Gentiles. Uh, perhaps even taking money from Gentiles. And so their Gentile churches had made a collection. They uh, give the collection to the Apostle Paul to take it to the church at Jerusalem that was struggling. Uh, I'd remind you that our theology uh, is not very popular today. Uh, because truth is never popular in an evil day. Uh, and this makes our, our service all the more challenging and therefore all... Uh, the more requirement there is to pray to depend upon God. Uh, and therefore, we pray in light of the danger both corporately and individually. And we pray for another very important reason. There are no guarantees in life. None whatsoever. I encourage uh, those of you that are married, when your spouse walks out of the door to go to work on Monday morning, there is no guarantee anywhere that they will return. You should pray for them. Children, you should pray for your parents. I know you say, well, that's my parents' job, family devotions. No, you should pray for your parents. God would protect them, preserve them, keep them. There are no guarantees whatsoever that one of them won't uh, become profoundly ill and be lost. Temporarily, of course. Remember as a young man, one of the most violent times of prayer in my own life. My father had cancer. He lost the battle. 
I was a very young man. It's 20, 21 or so. He was very young, 50, 51. There are no guarantees, ladies and gentlemen, that you or your children will live to a ripe old age. So pray. Maybe even agonize in prayer that God would be gracious. And as you so agonize, you will come to the profound reality that every day of your life is a life of and moment of dependence upon the grace of God. Purpose of the request is that when uh, he comes, he can come in joy and uh, be refreshed in his spirit by being with them. Verse 32. Uh, this, uh, this verb refreshed is a triple compound uh, verb. Literally to rest with or to lie down with. Again, the only place it's used in the New Testament, uh, it's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. If you would, uh, it's worthwhile to turn to Isaiah chapter 11 where this verb is used, verse 6. I love this text. So beautiful of the work that God will perform in the church. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. It's great metaphorical language for, uh, for peace. Peace in the church. Eternal peace that we will enjoy in heaven. And you think of, uh, uh, you think of, a, of a deer lying down with the hunter. <laughs> Well, God will make it happen. Great enemies, uh, sometimes people that struggle together, God creates peace. And like Isaiah, the use here is metaphorical. Uh, like being refreshed. Uh, sometimes I find in my own life I just get so exhausted if I just take one of those things they call a power nap for you know, 10 minutes. I, I just kind of brought back to life refreshed. Paul wants to be refreshed. Think of the violence of his labors, uh, difficulty of his ministry, needs refreshment. He's going to get it from them. By the way, we should refresh one another. Uh, should be a concept of our uh, fellowship. Peace in the church is meant to refresh us because conflict is very wearisome. We know from the life of the Apostle Paul uh, that there were times uh, that uh, the churches that he planted were of great anguish to him. Think of the church at Corinth. Second epistle to him, Paul is uh, under threat of being cashiered by them. Imagine someone firing the Apostle Paul. Good reminder. Well, Barisot, we just, you know, peace will always exist in Grace Bible Church. My friend, there are no guarantees. You need to pray. God would work. Refresh his people with the great doctrines of grace. Uh, I read a great uh, illustration of this that uh, 
in a measure, it's a story almost of theological revival in the contemporary American church. It's a denomination uh, called the Christian Reformed Church. It's a heritage of the, the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, chiefly, those churches are in the northern parts of our uh, country. Uh, but when they had a denominational meeting, they affirmed their commitment to the Heidelberg Catechism and to reject alternative lifestyles. And the affirmation that the proper place for conjugal relationships are in a marriage between a husband and a wife. They affirm their commitment to those things. Our culture seemingly is going south and the Christian Reformed Church affirms its commitment to biblical truth and theology by going north. Great Heidelberg Catechism. I trust you're familiar with it. I trust those of you that are parents can use it uh, to instruct your children. Bring them up in the doctrinal realities of our great faith. And labor in prayer to do so. Because I promise you, when they leave home, your influence will wax and wane upon them. So agonize in prayer now. God to work mightily. It's a great story, Christian Reformed Church. How was uh, this revival or this uh, slide reversed? The church had been drifting, drifting south. Then it was reversed. The article I read said that many young people were, were praying for God to work. And God answered those prayers. And of course, many were refreshed or encouraged. And uh, we must never lose sight of the fact that we should pray and depend upon God to bring times of refreshment. I call that revival. The intensity of the refreshment is what makes it revival. But it's the product of prayer. It's the product of men and women and boys and girls depending upon God for God to work, for God to be gracious. And success and influence on the life of the church comes from men and women depending upon God, trusting and hoping in Him. And in turn, verse 33, Paul prays for the church in a benediction. He first wants them to pray for Him. And now He's going to pray for them. I love that correspondence. Have you ever asked uh, someone to pray for you and then never appended uh, your role in praying for them? Again, I love those alliances. I think they're critical in the life of the church. I would remind you that uh, our church gathers uh, once a month to pray for one another. 
Why is that? Because our success is a product of depending upon God. Uh, let's look at his prayer for them. May the God of peace be with you. Peace is a divine attribute. God is the source of peace within the church. Our politicians are always uh, praying for peace. I certainly pray for Ukraine. Pray for other countries. But, but again, ultimately that can only happen by the grace of God. I'm not unmindful that organizations get involved and work out peace treaties, but oftentimes those unravel too, do they not? God is the source ultimately of peace. He is the great headwaters of peace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You know the third one? Peace. Fruit of the Spirit. Peace in the life of the church comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And again, we shouldn't take this for granted. It's a peace that only God can give. You can, you can never take God's grace for granted. First Thessalonians 5.23 May the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world can you stand before God without blame? The God of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. By application, I'd like to tell you something that's of radical importance in our own country. Peace never occurs in isolation. Orthodoxy must be present. I'm sure that well-meaning Christians cave to heterodoxy over attributes like love and peace, uh, but there can be no love or peace when truth is vacated. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice what thing? What they have learned and received and heard from the great Apostle Paul. Orthodoxy is what he labored to establish. The truths of the Gospel, the great reality of the Incarnation, substitutionary atonement. Practice these things. Live as if you believe them in radical trust and hope in God. And what will happen? And the God of peace will be with you. Peace and truth go together. Never in isolation. So many Christians are struggling over that. Well, you, you people that are always pounding the table on orthodoxy, you just don't have peace in your heart. Can never have peace in your heart absent orthodoxy. These two go together. You ever separate them. You've done surgery that you are not authorized to do. Remember one of my great heroes in the faith, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. 
great 19th, 20th century American theologian. Towards the end of his life, he had the sad prospect of seeing his own church wax and wane over the great confessional standards. Imagine that. It's a great battle going on to take control of Princeton Seminary. Warfield would oftentimes take walks. One day, his uh, paths uh, crossed with uh, a lady and uh, she was a member of the church and she exhorted uh, Warfield, let us pray for peace. Warfield's response was, no, let us pray for war. Because the peace they were seeking was peace absent Our responsive reading this morning is found on page 833 in your hymnal. We'll be reading Psalm 130. As is our practice, I will read the light print if you would respond in unison with the bold print, please. Page 833, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Well, taking the red folder in front of you and opening to the first page, please stand as we sing together the doxology. All ye who are of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. Sing His praises, hallelujah. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God and on Him cast your care. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let all things their Creator bless, and worship Him with humbleness. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, 
and praise the Spirit three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And now in your red hymnal, number 38, 38. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days, Almighty, victorious, Thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as night, nor wanting, nor wasting, Thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above, Thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, Thine angels adore Thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth Thee. From Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Well, I invite you to join me in a time of prayer and confession of sin. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in prayer. As thy sons and daughters, we confess we have not walked worthy of our calling and adoption, but at times walked as those who don't even know you. We have wandered we have not kept thy commandments. We have not fled temptations. But out of sinful desires, we have done things which are forbidden us to do and left undone the things that we are bid to do for the sake of your name, the kingdom, and for the sake of our neighbor. 
and this is a public confession of our sin, I hear also our private confessions of our sinful desires, thoughts, and actions. Again, O Lord, with the psalmist we say, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. So, Father, forgive us and cleanse us for the sake of the merits of Christ alone, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And by thy Spirit, O Lord, teach us the way of your statutes, that we may walk in your ways to the end of our days. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We are forgiven in Christ. Number 519, 519 in the red hymnal is Fountain of Never Ceasing Grace. Fountain of never-ceasing grace, Your saints' exhaustless theme, Great object of immortal praise, Essentially supreme, we bless you for your glorious fruits, your incarnation gives the righteousness which grace imputes and faith alone receives. In you we have our righteousness by God himself approved. Our rock, our sure foundation this which never can be moved. Our ransom by your death was paid for all your people given. The law you perfectly obeyed that they may enter heaven. As all when Adam sinned alone, 
in his transgression died, so by the righteousness of one are sinners justified. We to your merit, gracious Lord, with humblest joy submit again to paradise restored in you alone complete. reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16, I invite your reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word in Romans 16. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelotus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stachus, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. 
Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who were with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I invite you to join me again in a time of prayer. <clears throat> Father, again, we come to you. Uh, we come to worship, to give praise and adoration to our great God in heaven, uh, whom we worship, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we pray to give thanksgiving for every good gift which has come to us from above. Uh, we are thankful for the gift, but more than that, we rejoice uh, in the God the giver. We thank you for the uh, privilege of uh, intercessory prayer. We pray for your blessings upon us uh, this morning, uh, our worship and service to you and to others through our many callings and vocations, uh, for faith to walk through every difficult and hard circumstance of life without being anxious for anything that concerns us, yet having concern for the welfare of others, our love for one another, our church family, the missionaries we support. In our weakness, give us strength. In our sickness, give us healing. In our confusion, give us wisdom. In our discouragement, give us hope. And now, Father, bless your word to us that it might be profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Uh, Blaise uh, Pascal, the French mathematician, physicist, and Christians uh, once said, don't try and add more years to your life, but more life to your years. It's a beautiful uh, reminder, I think, for all of us in the day in which we live. Uh, we are obviously uh, always trying to uh, add more years to our life, but we need to remember uh, to have life in the years that God has given to us. And I say that because I believe that uh, Paul's uh, commendations of so many uh, in the text that we have just read tell us how to add life to our years. Uh, again, with a great commendation, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 to 16 are uh, greetings with uh, warm affection accolades uh, for service in loyalty to Christ, uh, to uh, Paul and the church. Uh, Paul begins by commending uh, Phoebe, uh, very interesting that uh, the verb is literally to stand with her. Uh, she was a servant of Christ in Sincrea, the port city of Corinth. Uh, it is very likely that she was the one bearing this letter uh, to the churches at Rome. 
And the commendation to her is a acknowledgement of her worthy ministry for acceptance. Uh, Paul asks the church to help her. Uh, again, literally to stand beside her. And the reason that he asked the church to help her is because uh, she was a helper to many, including Paul. Uh, the word helper here has the idea of a patron suggestive of her own financial support of the ministry. So here Paul remembers this uh, dear saint uh, for being a helper, uh, calls her, if you will, a, a patron of the church, uh, a way, if you will, to uh, add life to your years. Uh, but more importantly, it is through the Apostle Paul, the smiles of uh, heaven upon this dear lady uh, for her loyalty to uh, the apostolic company and the church at large. It's also, I think, important to recognize that uh, Paul implicitly is acknowledging her for her loyalty the truth, for the truth of the Scriptures, her loyalty to theology, uh, her loyalty to advance uh, the faith, to strengthen uh, the church uh, in Rome. Uh, beginning in verse 3, we have a list of greetings to members of the house churches in Rome. It's important to recognize there wasn't you know, a building that uh, the, the church went to, like we have a building here. Uh, the churches met in homes. And there were likely a number of house churches. Uh, and the greetings are noteworthy for acknowledging, again, faithfulness to the cause of advancing uh, the faith. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila had returned to Rome after being banned from Mo Rome by Claudius, uh, the emperor who is now dead. Uh, they were with Paul in Corinth and Ephesus. Uh, they were fellow workers. Uh, it is uh, from this word fellow worker that we have our English word synergism. They worked with Paul. Uh, synergism uh, is important in terms of the life of the church. We work with people to advance the faith. Uh, I would, of course, remind you that there is no synergism in the gospel. God alone saves. Only He has the power to save. We don't cooperate with Him. He saves. It's not a synergistic gospel. But when you come to the church, there must be synergism uh, because uh, one person cannot advance the cause. Uh, it takes people. Uh, and uh, they made Paul's ministry uh, better. They also illustrate a theological continuity of the faith. It's very interesting, uh, if you turn to Acts chapter 18, uh, in verse 26, uh, we have uh, an illustration of this married couple uh, and their desire to advance the theological content of the faith. And he began to speak, again reading Acts 18, verse 26, out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Totality of the faith, the way of God more accurately. 
uh, Priscilla and Aquila, calling someone aside in some manner or form. He was deficient in his understanding of theology and the ways of God, so they gently uh, provide him a fuller understanding. Uh, in a measure, we are called to do something of the same. There are, in the scriptures, no accolades whatsoever for sloppy theology. Uh, they also place themselves at risk. Uh, literally, uh, Paul says here that they laid bare their neck in service to Paul. It's uh, so our reminder that it is risky and sometimes costly uh, to serve Christ. In their house church, uh, there was a man named uh, Epineatus that Paul calls uh, my beloved, a term of great affection. Uh, we don't know why, other than uh, he was the first fruits in Asia. You know that that's an agricultural term, uh, denoting the beginning of the harvest, but denoting that there's more to come. The first fruits belong to God. Uh, we keep the rest for our own uh, maintenance and health and caring for our families. But the first belong to God. Paul is acknowledging uh, that. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to be first. Uh, but this gentleman was the first fruits in Asia. He greets Mary who has worked hard. Uh, this verb comes from the noun... Uh, meaning striking or beating, so that sometimes labor is associated with trouble and pain. Uh, Christian ministry can be hard and strenuous. Uh, it's not for those who want the easy way. Our Savior Himself tells us, take up your cross daily and follow Me. Everybody wants an easy way. But... Uh, it's true that He bears our burden. It's true in our connection with God the Father. He has uh, the only way. Believing in Him is to a measure an easy way, but the Christian life is not an easy way whatsoever. Andronicus and Juni are husband and wife. Paul calls them my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. Uh, I take uh, the former as a spiritual bond that he had with them. Uh, he considered them cousins or uncles and aunts, my kinsmen. Uh, the church, uh, in a measure, is a spiritual family. Uh, they're also fellow prisoners. Uh, they shared in hardships, uh, advancing the cause. Uh, ministry, again, sometimes is difficult. It takes courage to be a Christian. Uh, the next couple of names are common uh, slave or freedman names. Uh, Empelatus and Stachus are beloved. Urbanus is a fellow worker. Apelles is approved. Uh, the word approved is very interesting. Use of assaying metals. Uh, someone brings in a bar and says, well, this is gold. And, well, let me assay it. Let me, let me, let me make sure it is what you say it is. Let me make sure it's genuine, the real thing. I can get a buyer of, I don't know, iron ore and get some gold 
spray paint, paint over it and say, well, it's just the real deal. But it's not. It's a reminder to be genuine. Be the real thing. Uh, Herodian is, uh, is also a reminder of spiritual family. Tryphena and Tryphosa are sisters. Uh, Paul says of them, they are hard workers. Paris is also beloved and numbered among the laborers. Again, we have something of a constant theme here. The laboring, fellow workers. Um, it's a lot of people who are involved in making the ministry here work. Whether it be Sunday school teachers or people working in the nursery, uh, engaging in music ministries. It takes a lot of laborers. Uh, Rufus is a choice man, literally elect. Elect. Thus a man to be held uh, in high esteem. I love the next reference. His, his mother was also a mother to Paul. Great reminder of, of affection, tender bonds of a spiritual connection. Um, Nothing like a dear godly mother. Remember reading constant battlefield stories of wounded soldiers who bleeding out, calling distant battlefield, far removed from home, calling out for their mothers. Indelible imprint on the life of a child. Here, Paul is acknowledging someone who's not his mother, but spiritually she is. The ten other names, along with other brothers and saints, Paul is acknowledging them all. Remembers them for their loyalty in the cause. Reminding us that God smiles at the loyalty of His people who labor, who share in the ministry. Servants, helpers, fellow workers, family, and again a mother, all deeply loved by Paul. I am uh, <clears throat> I always enjoy uh, reading uh, newspaper, Wall Street Journal, Daily Oklahoma. Less and less the latter, sad to say, but nonetheless, there's always a reference to some Hall of Fame. It's like there's a Hall of Fame in America for everything. This is the one of the few Halls of Fame that really matters. I mean, the greatest Hebrews, obviously 11, but here's another one. Paul is marking out, um, inducting them into a great Hall of Fame of those who are loyal to God and His cause. I mean, the application is quite obvious. You know, would Paul, I mean, if I was there, would Paul include my name? Your name, that's uh, for some act of loyalty to him, for laboring in the difficulty, for being courageous, for putting uh, your life at risk. 
good, good reminder. Uh, there's another key marker here. It's very critical in the reading of the text. It speaks to the majesty of the grace of God. Ten times in 16 verses, we have in Christ or in the Lord. It's the greatest identification all the world. It is, I remind you, the only, the only passport to heaven. Some of you uh, travel distant lands, have passports and visas. Some countries you have to get a visa. Only one in heaven, in the Lord or in Christ. It's the eternal marker of the faithful. Uh, remind you, um, it's not that you're in this church. I'm glad you are. But the greatest, most important is in Christ. When He brings you uh, to the faith and baptizes you uh, in Him. It's our alliance to uh, King Messiah spanning, spanning ethnicity, status, wealth, and gender. These men and women, I think, are a beautiful illustration of what Paul means when he writes Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is reasonable in His service. In the Old Testament, they brought bulls and goats, lambs. Now we're the sacrifice. We bring ourselves to be spent in His service. These men and women are being acknowledged by great accolades from the Apostle Paul because they have presented their bodies as living sacrifices. And they're not being, being conformed to the world. They're being transformed. Uh, reminder of God's sovereign grace. God's incredible mercy. Uh, he places us in the Savior. Uh, perhaps another way to illustrate uh, God's grace in their loyalty and the smiles of heaven upon their loyalty uh, is by the opposite. Those who will live in infamy. Uh, if you will, a hall of infamy. Men and women who, who were not loyal. And we need to remember as well as markers. Because Scripture remembers them. God remembers them. Remind you in the simple reading of the Apostles' Creed, we recite the name Pilate. Sometimes recited in every church on every Sunday. Pilate, who was an agent to crucify the Savior. It's kind of a chilling name. I've never met someone named Pilate. I wonder why. He tried to brush off his infamy. Washes his hands, telling the Jews that he's innocent. No, he was guilty. 
And his name is forever recited in the church as a guilty man from which there is no recovery whatsoever. But there are lots of uh, others. So, Judas. He hung around for a while and then he betrayed Jesus. And uh, Jesus says of him better that he had never been born. Wow, that's, that's an induction to the hall of infamy. A man who was disloyal, who betrayed. There are others named and others not, but again, heaven knows. First Timothy uh, chapter 1. Reading verses 19-20, Paul says, Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. We, don't, we aren't given the names. We're giving some of them, but not giving all of them. Some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan so that they might be taught not to blaspheme. Their faith is shipwrecked. Um, you and I know that ships are made for the open seas. Um, ship captains have uh, nautical charts and modern day technology, GPS, and on and on to keep them from running aground. But ships occasionally run aground, even in this advanced technological age. The greater point is sometimes people who profess to be believers become shipwrecked because of their theology. Um, it, it, it is not a light thing because a ship that's uh, caught on a reef or on a sandbar cannot go anywhere dangerous illustration of how to ruin your faith, run aground so you can't proceed forward. You know, read a number of months ago the freighter that you know runs aground in the canals. I mean, man, that's a pretty serious deal. Ships can't get around you. Why? Because you didn't make a navigational error, but perhaps you weren't watching the speed of your vessel or whatever the case might be. You got too close to one of the sides. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a ship's captain. Man, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to be that guy. You know, even prior to that, some Italian captain runs aground because he wants to wave at his girlfriend on the beach. It really runs aground. Wow. You've seen the pictures of uh, some of them fairly large boats in Florida just sitting on top of a car or another boat. It's incredible. They weren't made for that. They were made to, to sail, go to the open ocean to, to fish and enjoy the beauty. Good reminder to us uh, not to be shipwrecked uh, in our faith. Keep moving forward. 
to be careful of sometimes where we are because we know who we are. It's also important to recognize that when a ship runs aground, it's more often than not taking on water. First uh, Timothy chapter uh, six. Uh, Verse 10, love of money is the root of all evil. And some, Paul doesn't give us any names, but in his writing, he knew who they were. Timothy knows who they are. And certainly God knows who they are. Some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Now, there's nothing wrong with the accumulation of wealth. I hope God blesses you with the accumulation of a lot of it. Just don't love it. And use what you have for His glory. Maintain your family. Be generous with others. Uh, There is something wrong with avarice. Literally here, uh, they stretch out their necks to pursue it with such vigor that they wander from the faith. I remind you to be very careful what you give your heart to. Because out of it are the issues of life. Second Timothy chapter 2, 17 to 18. Two men here are named who deny the future bodily resurrection. So they deny a cardinal aspect of the Christian faith. By which denying the bodily resurrection, you cannot be a Christian. You know, by the way, that error has come into the church. Just a spiritual resurrection. No bodily resurrection. No final dealing by God with sin. Uh, second coming. But there are people who fall prey to that. I've, a new one on occasion that came to Grace Bible Church for a season, fell into this. Held it so tightly, simply, obviously, eventually left. Those things happen. Sad that they do. Uh, Paul says, and their talk was sped like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now notice in terms of the concept of denying the bodily resurrection. They've gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Um, by referencing this medical condition of gangrene, uh, Paul says they're like gangrene or cancer. They just keep keep growing and gnawing away. Um, their sinister theology is contagious. The, theological loyalty is incredibly important. You reject it to grave, grave danger and peril. Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, four. Um, verse ten: Demas, having loved 
the present world deserted Paul. I don't know precisely what Paul means by that, loving the world. I mean, I do in a measure my own uh, a life and understanding of the faith, but something got him. Deserted Paul. A deserter. He left his post. He deserted the apostle. Verse 14, Alexander opposed my teaching. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Paul gives us his trade. He was a coppersmith. He harmed Paul in some way. We don't really know how. Just that he did. And that's enough. He harms Paul. Notice what he says. The Lord will pay him according to his deeds. So sometimes uh, men and women unfurl their true identity and their colors. And if, if they are disloyal to the truth of the Scriptures and to the apostolic company, if they harm the spread of the Gospel, God knows who they are. And someday will come for them. A good marker for loyalty is that we are pilgrims simply passing through this world for the world to come. And it is the world to come that is to hold our affections and to forever remember that uh, heaven smiles at the loyalty of His people. So isn't it interesting that there is a hall of fame in Romans 16 and then elsewhere in Scripture, halls of infamy. I, I trust um, the former is, uh, is where we are at Grace Bible Church. Uh, Blaise Pascal died in 1662. His servant discovered a small parchment sewn into the lining of a doublet over his heart. He wears a piece of clothing. And he hides a very short writing in that clothing that he wore over his heart. Now, he writes of a night of fire, terrified by judgment, of knowing Christ. And then certainty, joy, peace. As I have known thee, joy, joy, joy. I do not separate myself from thee. He was our man like our heroes here who had the joy of a transformed life and service to the cause and the smiles of heaven. He wore it wherever he went. Constant reminder. May the hall of fame that's in our text here this morning beckon us to the same. Be laborers in the cause. Be loyal to the faith. With the full knowledge that God knows those who are His. But the world should know as well. And so should the church. Well, as you know, uh, it's our privilege uh, this morning to uh, partake of uh, the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, to remember uh, most beautifully uh, our Savior's love for us.
that he came, he was forever loyal. Um, I love the phrase in the Gospel of John that I share on occasion. Uh, he knew his own and he loved them to the end. He was loyal to his own to the end. At the great expense to himself. Sacrifice of himself. Uh, you and I know it as vicarious sacrifice. He suffered. You and I also know it as substitutionary atonement. He substituted himself to face the wrath of God that we might not have to face it. Greatest act of substitution in all the world. Uh, we also know that we didn't deserve it. We could never earn it, but he substituted himself uh, to gather his people and to place them in himself. Uh, he tells us, uh, Gospel of John, I'm the bread of life. He who eats me will live forever. I always think about that phrase because, uh, you know, we live in an incredibly wonderful world of incredible medical technology, and there's nothing at all wrong with trying to add years to your life. Uh, but the greatest addition of all is to have faith in the Savior and have the sure and certain blessing that by believing and hoping in Him, our association with Him, we will live forever, world without end. The, the greatest of heaven beckons us, stirring call to be faithful. As we uh, serve the bread, I ask that you would uh, take the bread and hold it until which time uh, we are uh, all served, and then we will uh, eat together as uh, a token of affection and uh, loyalty to uh, our Savior. Um, in the time in uh, the service, if there's something that you need to get straight with God, you have an occasion to do so. Uh, remind you of the danger of uh, partaking of the elements improperly. Namely, if there's some uh, known sin in your life for which you have not uh, confessed and repented uh, encourage you to, to be about that. Other than that, you should really not partake uh, because it is uh, improper use of the sacrament and therefore brings harm to your soul. Uh, but uh, the greatness of our faith is that uh, we confess because we're forgiven. And to rejoice in that. At some point in your uh, private prayers, I encourage you to rejoice, to thank God. Like Pascal, Joy, joy, joy. Because of the greatest blessing of all life, the forgiveness of sin and guilt forever. So, uh, so let's prepare our hearts to partake of the bread of life. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the bread of life. Uh, we are thankful for the invitation that simply by believing and hoping in the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished for us upon the cross, uh, we are forgiven forever. We're profoundly grateful for the joy and the joy and the joy of eternal forgiveness and the delight of remembering the sacrifice uh, of him who atoned for us, the one for the many, and that in him 
Uh, we have bread that is the enabling cause of our living forever and that in Him our cupboard is never bare. Now bless us, Lord, as we partake. Edify and strengthen Thy people. Now, all of us come on occasion and we're profoundly hungry because of the vagaries of life, but knowing the Savior uh, is to know life everlasting and cause us to rejoice uh, in Him as our only Redeemer, in whose name we pray, Amen. As I uh, pass the service, I remind you that uh, in the center of the service there is wine, periphery there is grape juice, each may partake in the freedom of their own particular traditions, but more importantly that Christ, uh, in sovereign grace and mercy, drank the cup of judgment, that we will never have to drink it, never have to drink it. Ours is the cup of the new covenant. Uh, that all the blessings of the new covenant accrue to us because of faith in Him. It's a good occasion to remember our blessings. As the service is being passed, perhaps there's a blessing that you need to thank God for. Uh, maybe it's a familiar blessing. Blessing of a spouse or children. Uh, blessing of a, of a job. The blessing of a church. Blessing of uh, loyalty to the Scriptures. So many. Sometimes we can lose sight of thousands of things that God has for us that we should be thankful for. Uh, but the greatest of them all is that we will never have to drink the cup of judgment. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the cup. Lord, we're thankful for the cup of the new covenant, for all the blessings that accrue to us. Uh, thou was not withheld to us, sacrificed for sin, and neither wilt thou hold, withhold from us all things necessary to come to our appointed end uh, in the great heavenlies. Hasten that day in thy good grace. In the interim time, uh, we become thirsty. We're thankful uh, that our thirst is assuaged by recounting the blessings of God, hoping and believing in them, acknowledging that they are true, and that they accrue to us the great joy of the faith. And we partake in joy. Joy, joy, joy. Uh, may not only mark our receiving of the sacrament, but may we depart in joy. May the world see our joy because we know Savior, whom to know is to know life everlasting and the forgiveness of sin and guilt. Uh, and it is Lord in his name we pray and therefore bless us accordingly. Amen.